Alright, let's pray then. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alright, how's your week been so far? They say Wednesday is called a hump day, so have you gotten over the hump? But it says that by the middle of the week, our juices are running out. And we struggle to make it through the next two days. I'll so, get over it by tomorrow. Amen. We'll get, we get over it. Amen. Uh, it, it, a few more days to go after three. Yeah, a few more days. I'll still work Saturdays. Okay. That's the unfortunate part. Everybody has different days of rest, so... Everybody's hump day is different. Not everybody's hump day is on Wednesday. Amen. Yeah. All right. Today's mode of study will be a book study. So I don't know if you looked at the notification. The theme for today is the book of Romans. Amen. And uh, we are 18 days shy of the Easter week. Where it starts on the Palm Sunday. And then it's on the Resurrection Sunday. So that eight day space is normally our Easter week. And... The average Christian today is enamored with celebrating events. That every Christian does well. Oh, it's Christmas, it's Easter. You know, there are some countries that even celebrate Ascension Day. I once traveled somewhere and it's like, it's bank holiday. I'm like, nobody's going to work. Like, it's Ascension Day. I said, oh, wow. I was very surprised. Amen. So even some countries even celebrate Ascension Day, which is directly related to Easter, right? So we do well with celebrating um, Christian events, but how many Christians truly know the significance to our Christian faith and how it affects how we live and work as Christians? So that, that's, that's the big question now. So it's not just about celebrating the event, but do we know its significance? For, for this reason, the world sees it fit to commercialize our events, but not other faiths. Are you aware? Because I think the world, they even look at our confusion. Like, these people, they don't understand what they are doing. Let's commercialize it. Islam, Islam holidays are not commercialized. Are you realize, have you realized that? It's not commercialized. Because a, 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 a Muslim truly understands the significance. It's not just about celebrating the events but they know the significance to the event and how it affects their faith but christians we can't say otherwise we can't in life learn how to label your package if you don't label your package someone will label it for you so that's what has happened with christians we haven't learned how to define the truth of our events. So the world is doing it for us. Amen. And like Miles Moreau of Blessed Memory said, where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Which is very which is a popular saying. So uh, Christians, we have to come to a place of a deeper knowing and significance of things pertaining to Christ's life and ministry. And that's the hallmark and the central theme of Christianity. Because I feel like if we don't understand that Everything else we are doing in our Christian walk of faith is a house on cards. With that said, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they just focus on the events of Christ, what Christ did, life, burial, resurrection, you know, life, his life, teachings, death, burial, and resurrection. That's all that the gospels focus on. But when you read the epistles, the epistles are letters. All right, that's all. Letters. Letters written by the apostles. You know, Paul wrote some. James wrote some. John wrote some. Jude wrote some. Okay, so letters. And that the letter starts from Romans right up to Revelation. All those are letters. The letters in particular, they talk to us about the significance of Christ's death burial and resurrection that's why the letters are written so if you want to really understand 
the significance of the event, you will not get that in the Gospels. It will just give you a descriptive and um, a, a, a narrative detail of the event, but it will not tell you the significance or the importance. But if you want to understand the significance and the importance, that's why the book of Romans to Revelation is written. Now, the reason why we, we want to focus primarily on the book of Romans is that the book of Romans actually deals with the significance of Christ's death and to an extent, his burial and resurrection and how these points of Christ's life affects the Christian faith at large and how it also affects our work as Christians. So, by the time we finish this book, I want to believe God that we will be grounded in the truth of what Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection means to us. Or let me even say Easter. By the time we finish the book of Romans, we should truly understand the significance of Easter. And how does Easter affect your work as a Christian? I think that's more important. You see, you should be able to link events to your Christian work in, in, in uh, your Christian work of faith. You should be able to link events. Don't just celebrate it and separate it. Every event is tied to your life. That's what we have to know. Every event we celebrate in the Christian calendar is tied to our life. When we celebrate Pentecost, Pentecost is tied to our life. It's not you celebrate it and then life is here and then we have two tangents. Everything we celebrate in the Christian faith, think of every Christian event. It's tied to our Christian. It's married. So as a Christian, don't just celebrate the event. Ask yourself, what does this mean to my faith? How does this bode in my walk in the Christian faith? How does this affect me as a Christian? Presently, how would this help me to live this Christian life of faith? So with that said, we are going to be doing Romans. So let's start from chapter 1. All right. So when we look at chapter 1, chapter 1 talks about Paul's greeting, his desire to visit Rome, and the gospel. So by the time we finish reading chapter 1, we, we should have covered all these three bases. Amen. So, you know, there are different ways of doing a book study. Like the, the book of John, I'm focusing on a particular theme. So I, I preach the book of John in a very different way. And what is the theme? The theme is projecting his divinity. So that is my emphasis on the book of John. So I've narrowed it down to the divinity. There are, there are many truths in the book of John, but my, my, my context, my specific detail to the book of John is divinity. So I preach the, that book in a certain way. Now, with this book, you also see that I'll teach it in a certain way because I, I don't really have a theme in mind per se, even though Romans covers, Roman has a very general theme. The general theme of Romans is the significance of Christ's death. So we are just going to be reading verses. So you will see, you, I just want you to know that you will see maybe, oh, Pastor Steve is teaching this differently from how he would teach the book of John because of the emphasis. Amen. So just take note of that. So let's start from verse 1. Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So Paul is describing himself that I am a born servant. In, the, in, 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 in Paul's context, you have to understand there were two types of servants. Excuse me. There was a servant and there was a born servant. And they are not really the same. A born servant is a servant who serves out of his will. That's a born servant. A servant is one who serves against his will. Because during Paul's time, you know, there was the slave market in the open square. Slaves were bought. 
And at the end of every seven years, you know, in the Jewish calendar, it's a jubilee. And one of the things they do is that they release slaves. One of the things, so they don't just cancel debts, they also release slaves. Sometimes they release things that they may have taken at the end of seven years, give it back to the person and stuff like that. So sometimes slaves are auctioned in the open market. Who is going to buy this slave? Now, sometimes someone will buy the slave and when the person buys the slave from the captor or the master that the slave was serving, if the master is a very good person, the slave will say, thank you for buying me. But out of my own volition and out of my own will, I choose to serve master or mistress, so, so, and so. That person is called a born servant. When that happens, they will nail uh, your earlobe, the left side of your earlobe. And, and with that, it says you are a born servant. You are not just a servant, you are a born servant. Why? Because out of your own volition, out of your own will, your word has now become a bond to the service of the master. So that's a bond servant. So what you have to understand is that Christianity is not slavery. It's not for us to be a Christian. All of us are Christians because we are born servants. That's something we have to understand. God doesn't force anybody to accept him as his Lord and personal Savior. God doesn't force anybody to accept the gift of eternal life. God doesn't force anybody to accept the gift of salvation or the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. God wants you to come out of your own will, out of your own volition. Otherwise, if Christianity had nothing to do with being a born servant or born service, all of us will be Christians. And there will be no faiths. The Muslim faith, the Baha'i faith and everything. There will be no, all of us will be Christians. God wants us to, out of our own will, out of our own volition, to be Christians. So sometimes when you hear some people complaining as if they have been forced to be Christian, nobody wants you to be a Christian. You are a Christian because you chose to be that. So every Christian is a born servant. Out of your own will, out of your own volition, you are a Christian. Now when you read this too, Paul says that he is an apostle. Who is an apostle? An apostle in the Greek simply means a sent one. Amen. Later in the month, that's next month, I'll touch on these topics in total so i wouldn't want to dwell too much on one apostle but the basic is an apostle is a sense one amen and god calls us before we were born you know when you read apostle paul's conversion he became a christian when he was quite old his name was saul when you read acts chapter 9 that was when Apostle Paul became a Christian. Then he was called Saul. He persecuted the church. He was, he was part of the council that stoned Stephen to death. But Apostle Paul is given a very powerful revelation here. That I am called to be an apostle. I've been separated to the gospel of God. Which Christ promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. You know, so Paul is talking about becoming an apostle. It's not a happenstance. To the human eye, they may think it only happened because of my conversion on the road to Damascus. But Apostle Paul is saying that my calling is providential. It has something to do with God's providence. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are Christians due to God's providence. It's not a happenstance. I, I don't believe there's anything like you came to Christ by mistake. You came to Christ out of the blue. God had designated, had purposed before the foundation of the earth. Let me tell you, God knew before the foundation of the earth. It wasn't because you were born then he started to know you. Before you became a clot of blood in your mother's womb, before your mother and your father even decided to come together, God already had you in mind. So this is talking about God's providence. So 
Be encouraged. You are not a mistake. God already knew you. You are here by design. You are not here by default. Human beings might want you to think you are here by default. Human beings might want to think that you were even unplanned. We plan to have only four children and you became the fifth one. That's what human beings will say. But according to God, we are in his providence. For this reason, we are called. So please be very encouraged. You are in this world because God needs you. You are in this world because God planned you. You are in this world because you are part of God's plan before the foundation of the world. Think about it. That is before Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. God planned you. That's how much God thinks of you. Before there was a beginning, before the foundation, he already planned that you will be in existence. With the shape of your nose, your lips and everything. He already planned way before I had your color, your weight and everything. Way before you are part of God's providence. So see yourself that way. I like that Apostle Paul didn't see that, oh, I only became an apostle because I got converted on the road to Damascus. He saw his calling as God's providence. So today, if you are listening to me, see yourself that you are saved by God's grace. And thank God all of you are Christians, but you were saved by God's grace. Not because you heard that preaching, not because of anything, but you were part of God's providence. Amen. I think that's something that makes me very happy, even what I can even learn from the greeting. And declare to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. So Paul is talking about because I've been called, Christ has enabled me to do my task. So basically, that's all that Paul is saying. And verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Listen, every Christian is a beloved of God. Every Christian is a saint. Never forget that. When you look at this word beloved in uh, verse 7, it means to be esteemed, a dear one, favorite, worthy of love. Can you live here tonight and see yourself that God esteems you? You are God's dear one. You are God's favorite and you are worthy of his love and acceptation. Every Christian should see himself as the beloved of God. So uh, when you read the Gospels, you realize that Jesus was called, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Can I give you news? You are also the beloved of God. You are his dear one. You are his esteemed one. You are his favorite. That's why you are favored. When you are a Christian, believe in the favor of God because you are favored. You are beloved. And you are also worthy of his love and acceptation. Not of his punishment. Not of his anger. Sometimes many people will want to depict and paint God as an angry God. Sometimes we, our PR campaign of God is very poor. It's not attractive. We need a fixer. And that's what when they want to, to address your, your, PR, your, your PR image, they, they call fixers. I remember the, the, the show, that scandal, Olivia Pope. So we, we need more Olivia Popes who will dress God up according to the scriptures. And God calls you into the Christian faith. You are worthy of his love and acceptation. And he called us to be saints. When you're a Christian, you're a saint. Don't forget that. You're a saint. You're a saint. You're not, you're not just a Christian. You are also a saint. And when you're a saint, it means you are called out among the masses to live a consecrated life. And I've talked about holiness a lot. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is Paul's greeting. Right? So that's the first part. So now let's look at the next part now. We are going to talk about his purpose for why he wants to visit Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
So it is Jan's house. had received the gospel and Paul was happy and these people who were not part of the commonwealth of Israel Paul was very impressed and so happy that they had received the gospel willingly and their faith is spoken of if I when you read the New Testament the Gentiles were more open to the gospel than the Jewish that's how even today we've seen some Jews who still struggle with the gospel. A Gentiles. A Gentile is a non-Jew. Ghanaian, American, British, non-Jew. Gentile. They are more open, more receptive to the gospel than Jews. Amen. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his son, that without season I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. In fact, the word prosperity actually starts from here. Prosperity first means journey. You know, and the word prosperity has evolved from journey to now quality of life, state of being, yada yada yada. So the word prosperity has evolved. Amen. That's why there are some theologians who really want to split hairs in 3 John 2 because when um, uh, Apostle John prayed for Gaius and told them, Beloved, I wish above all things, or I pray above all things, that you will be in health and, 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 prosper, and, and be in prosperity, even as thy soul prospers. Some theologians believe that scripture meant he was wishing him a successful journey. You know, so that that's the confusion there because of the word. But words do evolve. You understand? It, it evolves. So here I may find a way. That's prosperity. So prosperity at first meant you wish someone well on their journey. But now it has evolved. So I thought that was quite interesting. But I, I really believe that prosperity has evolved from journey to a state of life. So when people are arguing about that, I also tell them, why don't you also look at the Hebrew? Because the Bible was not only written in Greek, right? So it's written in Hebrew. Why don't you look at the Hebrew and then join it and, com- and, com- and, and compare? Because the Hebrew word of prosperity in the Bible doesn't just talk about journey. It talks about quality of life, welfare, state of being, and all that stuff. Amen. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts. So now, Paul is going to talk about the reasons why he wants to visit Rome. So that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now that I may also have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor to both Greeks and to barbarians, to both wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So right here, there are three reasons why Paul wanted to visit Rome. One, he wanted to visit Rome because he wanted to impart spiritual gifts. You know, there are two camps of Christianity in the, uh, today. There are, there are some Christianity who don't, there are some people in that camp of Christianity who don't believe in spiritual gifts. And there are others that believe in spiritual gifts. There are people who believe that their gifts have ceased, it's no more. And there are some who believe that the gifts are still in continuation. Right? So if you don't believe that the gifts, are not in operation today you can't establish your members so for me anybody who works with that idea of the gifts have ceased how are you going to establish your members you don't just establish your members on teaching the word of god which is primary spiritual gifts also establish the members 
And we read it here. So Paul was not just coming to Rome. He was coming to them for their welfare. That they may be established. And how would they know he is established? That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. See, that's, that's the key. So establishment is important. We have to establish people. And that's why every two years, I always preach spiritual gifts again. Every two years. So I've, I've preached spiritual gifts three times since we started the church. Every two years I preach on spiritual gifts. So the reason why I preach it is so that you will be established. You impact. It's not just knowing. You also have to receive an impartation of the spiritual gifts and raise your faith level to believe God to operate in those gifts. Because when you operate in those gifts, you come to a place of establishment. So that's the first reason why Paul wanted to come to them. He wanted to come to them to, so that he would impart into them some spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are imparted through number one, teaching and the laying on of hands. So sometimes you can just be teaching the word of God. On the gifts, the person will receive an impartation or you lay hands. And laying on of hands is a fundamental doctrine of our Christian faith. Amen. So Paul wanted to do that. Spiritual gifts so that they will be imparted. Number two, he wanted to have some fruits. Fruit in this context is souls. So that's why Apostle Paul wanted to come. Verse 13. That, now that I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but I was hindered until now that I might also have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So Paul is talking about souls. So fruit here is an allegory for souls. So Paul, Paul also wanted souls. He had won some souls in other Gentile nations and he was yearning to come to Rome because he wanted some souls. And, and why did he want souls? Because he was passionate. He says, I am a debtor. I feel I'm a debtor. I feel I owe the Greeks. I owe the barbarians. I owe the wise and the unwise. You know, in, in the Roman time, they practiced um, elitism. You know, there was this aristocratic society there. Upper class, middle class, lower class. You know, that thing used to be in America sometime. Now it's died down. It's still in Britain. Still in Britain, though. I, I quite remember when Kate Middleton was marrying William. You know, because Will, um, Kate was the first commoner, quote unquote. That's what they said. You know, it was, it was a commentary throughout. And why do they call her a commoner? They called her a commoner because she had no ties to the royal family. Because normally, when members of the royal family marry, they always marry someone who has ties to the royal family distant relations or something so kate is the first to marry into the royal family without any ties to the royal family and of course the second one is megan who now has crossed a lot of headlines now and now she's like the running theme <laughs> of our week you know so i remember when i was watching the kate and william wedding that word kept on coming she's the first commoner she's the first commoner and i was like wow these british people they still don't joke with this. They are aristocratic things. It, it should die by now. That, she's just married. Just simple. But, you know, they kept on. It was, they kept on saying it. The first commoner. The first commoner. I'm like, this girl, they should give her a break. Because <laughs> she's a commoner because she has no ties to the royal family. Now, Rome was typical of that. They really were very elitist. You know, the, the, among the Romans... There were people who were called Greeks. And people who were called Greeks were people who were studious, who had learned. You know, Rome, Rome was an intellectual hub. They were known for intellectualism, right? And, and, and the barbarians were uneducated Romans, uneducated Gentiles. They called them barbarians. They've not been to school. They are uncouth, you know, and they know nothing. 
So Paul was saying that I came to all these societies. The gospel should not divide people. You know, so Greek, yes, you are a scholar. I owe you. I owe you the gospel. And to those who are also not worthy, barbarians, who are uneducated and uncouth, I also came to them. I came to the upper class. I came to the lower class. Or even those who have no class at all. I also came to them. So the gospel is the great unifier. Apostle Paul says that I came to preach to all these different societies or classes. They owe the, I owe them the gospel. I'm a debtor. For this reason, I have to come to Rome because I owe these people. I want to have some fruits among the Gentiles. To both the wise and the unwise. And like I've explained, the barbarians were known to be unwise because they were uneducated. They were uncouth. And then the Greeks, they are educated scholarly and, and, and so on. So as much I as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So the next thing that we see is that Paul wanted to come to Rome because he wanted to preach the gospel. You know, at this time, Rome was the tourist attraction city of the world. I find it funny that Paul didn't go to Rome because he wanted to go on tourism. Because Rome was beautiful. And Rome is still beautiful. It was the tourist attraction site. People, people normally didn't go to Rome for preaching. People went to Rome for tourism or for intellectual enhancements. That's why people go to Rome. Like if you wanted to be studious, if someone was going to Rome in those days, if you were a Jewish man and if you are going to Rome, you were either going there for education because they were the... the the, the leading, they, they were the world's leading um, city when it came to education. So if you are going to Rome, you are going there purposely to study or you are going on at all. You know, it's beautiful. Rome was beautiful at that time. It was an empire at that time. It, 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 was, it was magnificent. It was, it was like a world wonder. But Paul didn't go there for any of these reasons. Paul wasn't going for education. He wasn't going to do his postgraduate course or whatever. <laughs> None of that. And he wasn't going for tourism. Paul says that I have a different reason why I'm coming to Rome. I am coming to Rome because I feel I owe the skilled and the unskilled the gospel. That's the reason why Paul is coming to Rome. That's powerful. So that really makes us know Paul's passion. He didn't see things like the way, the way people see the world. So Paul was not out. He wasn't awowed by the magnificence, by the, the, the civilization, by the intellectual capacity and prowess of Rome. He wasn't, he wasn't awowed by any of these things. And when we even read the book, he never even once mentioned it. You will even think that these people were not even, they didn't have anything to write to him about. Rome had a lot to write to him about. But Paul was so... Should I even use the word tunnel vision? Because sometimes when you use the word tunnel vision, it sounds like it's a bad word. He was so tunnel vision on just the preaching of the gospel that I don't care. I don't care whether Rome is magnificent. I don't care whether Rome is a place where you can feather your education. That's not why I'm coming there. I am coming to Rome for the preaching of the gospel because I want some souls and I want to establish these people by imparting unto them spiritual gifts what a man i think there's something we can all learn from so as christians let's focus on the gospel the gospel sending the gospel to people can that be our main focus as we are coming to easter can that be our main focus and not be awed by the things of this world that's impresses people he's, he's focused on the gospel he's focused so he's coming to Rome for three purposes to impart spiritual gifts so that the people will be established 
He wants souls. I want some fruits. Because I am a debtor. I owe. That's what, that's what I said. I, I owe. I feel I owe all the different classes of society in Rome. I owe them. I owe them the gospel. You know? In that context, Greeks don't talk to barbarians. They don't, they don't talk to each other. Because they see barbarians as unwise. They see barbarians as commoners. You are not in our class. We are the aristocrats. But Paul says, I owe all these people. I owe the wise and the unwise the preaching of the gospel. And I am there to preach the gospel. Now verse 16. Paul is not going to talk about the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul talks about the gospel and he said that gospel is the power of God to salvation. Look, any, any message that you preach from the pulpit that does not result in the salvation of a soul, it's not the gospel. Yesterday, I met with a senior man of God. You know, I hadn't seen him in a long time. Went to him. You know, Pastor Jessica and I, we love him dearly. Great man of God, successful man of God. Beautiful church. I went to his office. We sat down. We chatted for a long time. So we talked about the pandemic, everything. And he told me one thing I took home with me. Like, he said, the pandemic has really come to expose the foundations of Christians. And uh, he feels like pastors, we, we have to take some of the blame because of some of our messages we have preached. And he told me, he said, some of our big messages and our motivational messages, it hasn't helped the people. So, this particular season, I have gone back to foundations. Hey, what do you mean? So, I teach on righteousness, holiness. Because I don't even want to talk about motivational things and how to get money, how to prosper. Because when the pandemic came, all those messages are sinking sand. So, they are sinking sand. If I realized that, oh, what, what, we fed them bad teaching. That now that everything has crumbled, the pandemic has made nonsense of everything. Their faith is shaking. So when you preach the gospel, the gospel has to resort to salvation. It has to resort to salvation. That's the gospel. The gospel should contain the power of God unto salvation. And salvation is a very big word. It's a very big word. Salvation means soteria. It's a very big word. It means deliverance. It means preservation. It means being saved from the, the camp of the enemy and brought into the kingdom of the kingdom of light. It's a very big word. The gospel has to result in salvation. The gospel of God has to have power. And what is the power? It's the power to change your life. That's what I'm talking about. And when I'm talking about power, I'm not about falling down under the anointing, screaming. and It's also part of power. But don't let us narrow power to falling under the anointing. Because sometimes that's all we think about. Hey, the man is powerful because people are falling down. You know, when I was younger, I used to preach a lot in schools in Ghana and everything. I, I was addicted to laying hands on people. But when people fall down, I feel like, Charlie... The power has really come, man, you know. That's how I used to feel. Like, if I don't preach and if I don't lay hands, I'm not okay. I was very addicted. Like, it, it, it took discipline for me to, like, you know, today don't lay hands. It took a lot of discipline. And I have nothing wrong against laying on of hands. Laying on of hands is scriptural. It's biblical. It's good. But, but I had a feeling like, no, if, you, if I don't lay hands, if someone doesn't scream, if someone doesn't fall down, Charlie, there was no power. There was no power. But real gospel, it's not about people falling and rolling down on the floor. You know, 
the real gospel is the power of God to change someone from a hardened criminal to walking like Christ. That's real gospel. That's the power. That's the power. So the gospel is the power of God. So today, ask yourself, the message that I preach, does it have the power of God to change somebody's life 180 degrees around? From one who is walking in darkness to now walking in the light of his word. That's power. And when that happens, the Bible lets us know that it reveals the righteousness of God. Now, during Paul's time, the gospel that was traveling around was the gospel of circumcision. So Paul was encountering this gospel. There was another gospel which was you have to be circumcised and be saved by the works of the law to be a Christian. Because the gospel is for the Jews. And the gospel was promised for the Jews. So now if you're a Gentile, if you want to be a Christian, a believer, you have to be circumcised and you have to observe the commandments of the law. So Paul is fighting this gospel. And Paul is saying that the true gospel, it doesn't demand that as a Gentile, you should be circumcised. It just demands that you believe the gospel of God. Because when you believe the gospel of God, the, 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 the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, not from law to law. And the just shall live by faith. So the whole gospel, the, cent- the centrality, the, the operation of the gospel has to do with belief. That's what Paul is talking about here. So our gospel has to have power. And when it has power, it means that it is able to change a sinner who was walking in darkness, do a 180 degrees turnaround, and now walk in the light of God's word. That is the power of the gospel. That's why when God blesses you and you have an opportunity to have a pulpit, don't waste it by preaching fables. Don't waste it. Don't, don't waste it. Don't waste it by preaching fables. Because any other gospel will not have this effect. That's why when you read Galatians chapter 1, Paul placed a curse on anybody who preaches another gospel. Whether it's the gospel of works, whether it's motivational sermons, whether it's new age expansion, consciousness, any of that mess. Because it might sound appealing, it might sound intellectual, it might sound good, you might get the applause of people. Even celebrities will endorse you. Celebrities will even endorse you. Celebrities will say you you are the favorite type of preacher. You are the favorite type of preacher. How can you be a celebrity? You listen to me and you still believe there are many gods. There are many ways to salvation. And then you endorse me that you are my favorite preacher. Meanwhile, the Bible says that he that is spiritual judges spiritual things. Don't look for the approval. Sometimes if you don't know who you are, you'll be so thirsty looking for the approval of influential and you will miss it. The gospel of God should be able to change people's lives. Yes, of course. And I believe people will also encounter the power of God that they will fall and everything. But that's not just that, but it should change people's lives. It should change people's lives whereby they will experience the righteousness of God by faith. And that just shall believe by faith. So now, because of the gospel, because of the gospel, look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, 
nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. For this reason, this is why we have to preach the gospel. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. The gospel has to be key. It's not motivational sermons. It's not outlawing sin. If you want America to be a Christian country, it is not outlawing sin. Legislating morality or being against same-sex marriages and outlawing abortion. That is not what will make people saved. And that is the sad thing about the evangelical church. It's really been a mess during our election. Because somehow we have reduced the power of God that comes by the preaching of the gospel that can cause people to repent now putting our trust in just one candidate who believe can change the hearts of people by legislating morality. You can't legislate morality. Even right here, the Bible says that the creation of the world is clearly seen, but still people will not believe. So even if God's handiworks is clear for all men to see and they will not believe, how much more do you think your weak legislation can do? It's rather increasing. Have you realized that when, when the law came, sin rather increased? We will do that in Romans chapter 5. So outlawing sin or legislating a godly thing does not curb sin. It can't. What will cure sin is the preaching of the gospel. And all this was a gentle thing that was happening. Paul says that I have to come to Rome to preach the gospel because the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all uncleanness. And he begins to explain into detail what is. That is why we need to preach the gospel. Because when we preach the gospel, the gospel has the power of God to change these people's lives and they will experience the righteousness of God. For this reason, we have been called to preach the gospel. Look at it. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. You see, if you want to be a crusader against homosexuality. Preach the gospel. It has nothing to do with loss. Because the gospel is the power of God to anyone who believes. Preach the gospel. It's not about loss. It's not about hating them. It's about preaching the gospel. So I think the church... Our voices should be loud and resonate with the preaching of the gospel. That is what will bring conviction. That's what will bring conviction. That's why. People have given over themselves to vile passions. What can save them is the preaching of the gospel. And Paul is saying, if you don't understand why I have to preach the gospel... If you don't understand why I am saying the gospel has the power of God that can lead one to repentance, that they will experience the righteousness of God. If you don't understand why I want to come to Rome for this reason, you know, that's the other side of Rome. Even though it was a place of intellectual prowess, even though it was a tourist attraction site, the other side of Rome was they were very sinful. Intellectualism could not solve the problem. Laws can't solve the problem. It is the preaching of the gospel. And today we are living in Rome. We have a mirror image of Rome in our days. Where sin has increased. And what will keep sin? It's not legislation. What will keep sin is the preaching of the gospel. Because the preaching of the gospel is the power of God to anyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So if you're a minister, I challenge you. If your preaching is not bringing salvation, please, you're not preaching the right gospel. 
And we need the right gospel at such a time as this because of the depravity of man. And let's read on. For even their women exchange the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, bend in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only those who do the same, but also those who approve those who practice them. What is the solution to all this? Back to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You know, it's not talking about preference. It's just talking about the Jews were the people who were promised the gospel first. That's all. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So that is what will deal with the depravity of man, the preaching of the gospel. We end chapter one. Any questions? We're done. Next week, chapter two. So in chapter 1, we've looked at Paul's greeting, why he wanted to visit Rome, and the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. And Paul is saying that in case you don't understand why I want to come to Rome, this is the reason. Man's depraved and sinful nature and the debased mind, what will solve that is the preaching of the gospel because the preaching of the gospel has power. What Paul was saying is that I'm prepared to come to Rome because I believe so much in the power and the efficacy of the gospel. It can change one from who has a debased mind to having the mind of Christ. I'm prepared to bank my life on the power of the gospel, so I want to come to Rome. Amen. All right. So, would you say then, if we see there are certain cities that are more perverse than others, so then will we say then that um, the reason for that is the lack of pastors preaching the gospel? Yes. According to Romans chapter 1. Because when you read Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, what does the Bible say? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the word, of the Lord, I'm sorry, as waters cover the sea. So, <laughs> if that is not happening, then it means that the gospel is not being preached. Or even if they are pastors, are our voices loud enough that they can hear? Is it corresponding the loudness of evil? And number two, if you are also trumpeting out loud, what sort of gospel are you preaching? That's also another thing. Because in Paul's case, there were many gospels. So we got to preach the gospel. The end result will determine whether it was the gospel because it has the power of God to transform one's life. From walking in darkness to walking in the light of God's word. So yeah, where there is sin prevailing, it is because there is not the preaching of the gospel. That's why we have to believe and pray to God for more churches. More churches, more pastors, more people need to be. That's why I do the work of ministry seminar. I'm not doing the work of ministry seminar so that I will have fun. The work of ministry seminar so that 
people will be trained over time consistently so that they can affect the world wherever they are. The gospel needs to go. Amen. Amen. I have a follow-up question for that, but it's 8 o'clock, so it's okay. All right. I ask. Okay, so when it comes to um, so preaching the gospel in the city or any particular place that you're in, right? Now, why is it that we find it pastors in general in certain cities uh, more difficult to preach the gospel? Why is it harder in certain areas? It's, it's harder because it's warfare. It's harder in certain areas because it's warfare. You know, one, one, one of the enemies is called the prince of the power of the air. That is atmosphere. It's, it's difficult in some places. Yeah, so why is that though? Why yeah. is it that the warfare is uh, different in certain areas? Because there are some places the gospel has been preached a lot, so the atmosphere is a bit more receptive. See, Paul preached in different places and he had different experiences. But in the current church, he says that, no, that to the door of Ephesus, pray for me. There's a door of ministry, but there are many adversaries. So sometimes it becomes very difficult to preach in certain places because of adversarial territory and opposition. And that's why you have to pray. I've traveled to some countries. I've realized that there are some countries even hard to pray. Very hard. And I'll give you a typical example. Holland. <laughs> I struggle to pray. It's, it's, it's adversarial. And, and then when you see the way they live their life, you, you can understand why. Very, very seedy. I mean, Las Vegas is even amateur. You go to Holland. Las Vegas is nothing. They call Las Vegas Sin City. Then I don't know what they should call Holland. Amen. Certain places is very difficult. It's hard. Certain places too, it's easy because of the preaching of the gospel. So the more you preach the gospel, the more you begin to make ways and build inroads for the preaching of the gospel. That Philip did that, right? The Bible said when he went to Samaria, things opened up. That was a hard place. It's a very hard place. A sorcerer had taken over that place. He had blinded the eyes of many. But a Philip appeared. And when Philip appeared, the light of the glorious gospel broke the hold of sorcery over that region. Amen. So the gospel has to be preached loud and clear. So there are some places where you will struggle to preach it because the gospel has not been preached. Today, if you look at Eastern Europe, see how Eastern Europe has become very easy to preach, but it wasn't easy to preach. That's why it was called the Iron Curtain. Why was it called the Iron Curtain? Because the gospel was not permitted. So anywhere the gospel doesn't have inroads, it's always going to be tough one way or another to preach there. Amen. All right. We are four minutes over time, so if you don't have any question, then I'll close. I had a question. Okay. Alright. Um what's what do you think about the uh, the issue of territorial spirits in in various places who also prevents the the growth of the gospel? some of the cities and some of the even nations. It's, it's, a, it's a real battle. I, I don't think it's a figment of man's imagination at all. It's a very real battle. So when you're, when you're a missionary, you really have to know how to pray against that. And you have to be prophetic, honestly, to, to, to discern that and 
know how to pray. Otherwise, if you just go with zeal without having an enlightened understanding of where you are, you, you will just be doing course 90 work. You will be working out of vain. So you, you have to really be prophetic and, and design. It's a real thing. It's not a figment of my imagination. You know, for for the for 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 the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the the Lord, it's no child's play. It's no child's play. It's a lot of intercession. It's a lot of intercession. So you have to pray. You have to pray, believing God that the gospel will become permeable into the hearts of people. And sometimes there are certain places when you preach the gospel, nobody will accept because you have to understand there is a strong man of that region there. And if that strong man is not bound, you, you will not achieve anything. That's why one of the difficult things to grow is a church. It's a church. The church is very difficult to grow. You don't grow a church by flip charts and, and you know, you draw the diagram. I remember one time, Pastor Jessica and I, one, one pastor called us, oh, we should listen to um, a parachurch organization. We went here, I told Pastor Jessica, I won't waste my, I was even upset. I said, look, I'm not going to waste my time again. You think church growth is flip charts? Because they have drawn flip charts, present, I, I said, yeah, there is a game in their eyes. It's Ghana language. I grow in it. It's a game in the eye. No, oh, don't come and waste my time with all these flip charts. You, you, don't, you don't do ministry with flip charts and, and pie charts and growth with your, your... You are joking. If you think that's how to grow ministry. You grow ministry by bended knees and prayer. That's ministry. So don't waste your time. So we, we, we have to get back. And that's why Paul had success in some of these Gentile places. Do you know what it's meant to preach in Gentile regions? One, they didn't know the commandments of God. Those were some hard grounds, but Paul was able to prevail because of much prayer. And he realized there are territorial spirits. He talked about it. And that's why he, in, in, in scriptures, he will pray prayers like utterance. A door of ministry has to be made open. He realized that. So Christians, let's be prophetic. Amen. And one of the ways to be prophetic is speaking in tongues. I'm telling you. Any, any Christian who speaks in tongues will be prophetic. And let me just stop here. Otherwise, I think we'll just go on and on and on and it will be 9 p.m. Amen. God bless all of you. I hope today all of you understood it. Did you all understand today's message? Did we all understand? I want to know. All of you, did you all understand? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. All right, good. We are going line by line. That's what we are doing. Yes. 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 All right. Let's begin to thank God then what we've heard today. Thank God for the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is able to save. Look, if you want to save the transgender community, it's not loss. It's the preaching of the gospel. Let's, let's thank God for the power of the preaching of the gospel. And let's say that we will be ambassadors of the preaching of the gospel. We will take the gospel. God, give us a passion to send the gospel. The gospel of Jesus loves you. The gospel of Christ came to die for your sins, that you receive the gift of righteousness. The gospel of Christ died for your offenses, he, he, and he was justified for our righteousness. The gospel that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That gospel, let's pray and believe God that we will be ambassadors. We will run with this gospel on wheels and preach to everybody. Lord, help us to love people who have even have a debased mind. May we not be judgmental. May we not lift up our self-righteous noses against them. But may we have compassion to preach the gospel to them because it is only through the preaching of the gospel that one can be Come safe. The Bible lets us know that this gospel is the power of God 
unto salvation. And in this gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. When we preach the gospel, may people experience the gift of the righteousness of God in the name of Jesus. Let's begin to pray, Lord. Even as we are coming to Easter, Lord, may we become faithful ambassadors of your message. May we become faithful ambassadors of the gospel. May we become faithful ambassadors of why you died on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise. Mando Siba Atolimando Ikada Usianta. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to thank you for tonight. We pray that may we have passion. May we have understanding. May we know the purpose for which you died on the cross. May we understand the essence of the preaching of the gospel. And Lord, help us to become bold, faithful ambassadors of your gospel to people. May we have love for people. And Father, may we do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Next week, the book of Romans, we start chapter 2. Amen. Love you guys. Don't forget, the clocks go forward. Amen. When? Sunday. Clocks Sunday go forward. Night or Saturday night? Sunday morning. Dawn. Oh, Saturday night. Okay. Sunday dawn. Yeah. All right. Blessings. Love you guys.